Let's give another hand to Austin, Jamie, Alex, Josh, Josiah, and Bill, who miss him today. You know, Jamie, the commoner, or as John Bunyan would call him in Pilgrim's Progress, just Christian. Alex and Josh as the minions of the evil one. Uh, Bill as the great embodiment of evil, you know, that wraith, and Josiah the righteous king. And it's a great way to kick off the Passion Week where we remember our King, Jesus Christ. You know, it is Palm Sunday, and I have studied and preached all the Palm Sunday messages. In fact, I've, pre- uh, I've had the privilege of preaching for the past eight Palm Sundays. Uh, I guess it's an impa- assistant pastor kind of thing. So, but let me tell you, I love it because we get to talk about the kingship of Jesus Christ. You know, but the common thing in all those passages and in those messages has been how the people, you know, the ones cheering at Jesus' triumphant entry didn't know who Jesus was at all. And they weren't cheering for the right reasons. This year, I wanted to preach from a part of Scripture where Jesus is truly seen as the King. So please turn with me to your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. You'll also find it on the back of your outline. Revelation chapter 5. I'm just going to read the first couple verses. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for meeting us here. And more than meeting us here, you have drawn us, you have called us here for our good and for your glory. You know that this is what we need, being taught by your word and to see Jesus clearly. That is what you have made us for. So Lord, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the visitors that we have here among us as well. And let it be that your word rings truly and clearly in this hall to all the ears, hearts, and minds present that all may profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory, O Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Scrolls and seals. You know, what does this scroll represent? What is it talking about? And it represents this momentous occasion, the great redemption of the world. You know, no one is found who can open this scroll, and that's a horrible thing because we want that scroll opened. We want it open because that's where our destiny lies, that's where future, that's where happiness, joy, and all these things we're, we're going to see in a minute. But no one is found who can open the thing. No one who is worthy. 
You know, this isn't like martial arts or video games where you have to level up in order to, to have access to the really cool things. All right, where you have to hit a certain belt before, oh, this is the one that'll take the guy's arm off. Or, you know, level 15 and you can get this sort of dragon breathing fire. So, you know, just these guys are laughing. They know what I'm talking about. Worthy doesn't mean that you're not that you're big enough or strong enough or nice enough. Now, worthy here in the Bible means, does God find you fit for his presence? You know, the one qualification that you have to have is you have to be without sin. The Bible says that there was no one, not even one. And the Bible also says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which brings us to the first point today. The unworthy undone. You know, John weeping actually brings us back to an earlier text in the Bible, to Isaiah chapter 6, where God appears to the prophet Isaiah at the beginning of his ministry. God appears to him, and Isaiah knows he's in trouble. Isaiah knows he is not righteous, not fit for God's presence, never mind his work. And he cries, Woe to me! I am ruined. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King." Isaiah knew that as a sinner, he was unworthy and he wept. And that's why John is weeping here. John knows that there is not a person, man or woman, in all history who is worthy to open that scroll. He knows that everyone, including himself, is a sinner, unfit for the presence of God. And this is where we find ourselves in the passage. We are right there with John, those who ought to be weeping with him, because we are those who alongside him are unworthy. Now, I loved how the movie portrayed this, because when the two wraiths come apart and come to, to Christian and and they're attacking him. They didn't even lay a hand on him before he was just thrashing around on the floor, unable to respond and to resist. And in this theatric way, what the movie showed was that, you know, it's not just the assault from the enemy outside, but it's the enemy within. That there is sin inside the Christian. There is an unworthiness, an unfitness to the Christian, to everyone. And so, when it comes to this scroll, we are on the outside because we deserve to be. We can't get into that scroll. We can't get into what we want to get into because we don't deserve it. And I know this is hard to hear or even believe 
if you think you're basically a good person and deserve to be treated well by God, that the litmus test is, I've done more good than bad in my life. And so God ought to, God ought to accept me. He ought to be fine with me. That's what I'm banking on. That's how I see it. But the Bible tells a different story. One that says God has a standard, a standard that he doesn't compromise on. To live, be without sin. Obey and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what he made us for. That's what he deserves. You know, in all those Palm Sunday passages, the people of Jerusalem, they believed that they deserved freedom from the tyranny of the Romans, and that was why Jesus came. That's why they were hailing him and waving those palms around. You know, what's the problem with being unworthy? Why is John weeping? Why is this such a tragic thing? We get locked out of the scroll. You know, sometimes we get locked out of things and we're disappointed. But you see, this isn't like getting to Disney World and finding that the gates are locked. This isn't like being invited to a black tie affair and not having a tux. This isn't some place you don't care about, some platinum card membership or something. This isn't a luxury or non-essential. Imagine getting to the gates of heaven, knocking and not being allowed in. This is heaven. This is peace, restoration, satisfaction, relationship, joy, happiness, all that we ever hoped and wished for. And we're locked out. This is life inside that scroll, and everything outside is death. You know, last week, Pastor John talked about literary greats like Walt Whitman and Ralph Waldo Emerson, and these were guys who wrote and really believed that God's going to be happy when I arrive at his gates. He's going to be pleased with me. You know, are there times that you believe you deserve heaven's applause? Are there times that you believe that I'm mostly good? God's going to deal well with me because of that. He has a standard and you haven't met it. And let me tell you how important it is to get this right. Emerson and Whitman, much as we love them, They were so far off. But even if you harbor a little bit of this in your heart, this deserving thought, it's like trying to shoot a rocket at the moon. Here on earth, if you're off by even half a degree, you'll never get to the moon. You'll miss it. You have to get this right. Where you start from, And this is where we have to start from. We all have to see this. 
But the story doesn't end there. And thank God it doesn't end there. Because now the passage says that the worthy one wins. The worthy one wins. There is one who can open the scroll, one who is worthy. Look at the text again. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the room, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. There is one, and he is worthy. He is worthy to open it. He is worthy to rule. This is kingly language. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The lion is the king of the beasts. Judah is the kingly tribe. The root of David. God's promise to David that one in his line would sit on the throne forever, would rule forever. A kingdom that knows no end. And that is Jesus This is a Palm Sunday text at the end of the Bible about the kingship of Jesus. And I love the movie and how it portrayed the king as a conquering and rescuing king, righteous and full of salvation. This is absolutely correct. Jesus did come to rescue and he did conquer hell and death. He took captivity captive and in Jesus Christ, in his death is the death of of death itself. But I just gave it away. How did he do it? Now last week, John showed how in the message. In talking about Andrew, the disciple, and John the Baptist. What did they both say about Jesus? What did they tell about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of of God the Messiah has come and he is the Lamb of God Jesus is worthy he can open the scroll he lived the perfect life we should have lived but that's not the why why the passage says that he is worthy to open it what is his qualification it says he is worthy because he was slain and with his blood purchased men for God. And there we see that Jesus is the king of all the world. But we also see the character of his kingship. 
You know, we don't think about kings and rulers much here in America. I had uh, Charlotte Adamo in my Sunday school class today over from England. And so to our friends across the pond, the thought of a queen, king and all that, not very foreign. But to us, we would kind of say, I don't know anything about that. Except you do. We all do. Because the idea of being a king, of being a ruler, is in each of our hearts. See, the very first sin was Adam and Eve. They had a king. He was a good king. He was a perfect king. God was their king. And still they weren't satisfied. And they wanted to be their own rulers, didn't they? They wanted the knowledge of good and evil apart from God. And that's the sad, sad sin that set us on this whole history and path that we're on. We're no different today. You know, I went to a marriage and singleness conference at Redeemer in Manhattan yesterday. And they were talking about how singles want to be married but they're afraid of getting married, and so they're actually protecting themselves from marriage. They're keeping themselves away from it. Why? Because they're holding out for compatibility. You ever hear that word? You know, if you got married 30 or 40 years ago, you'd be like, uh, it's not what I got married for. But now, it's all the rage. It's, that's how you know that you've found the right one, because you're compatible. What does compatibility mean? It means that right off the bat, you're okay the way you are, and they're okay the way they are, and neither of you have to change. Because you don't want to have to change the other person, but even more, you really don't want to have to change yourself. You want to rule, you want your way, you want to be king. And uh, you married folk, come on, you know, just like I do, the big problem of marriage, the great big problem is that there are two people who want to be in charge. Yeah, come on, not along. You see this, you know this. You want your way, and you are angered when you don't get it. You know, even, even the people dating, the people who are in that lovey, gooey phase where nothing's wrong and everything's happy, same principle applies. Because the other person who's there, they're there, and them being there makes you happy. It's still about you. It's still about what you want. It's still about your happiness. Every one of us has this, this desire to rule, to be in charge, to get our ways, to have our desires. We do this in all our relationships. It does, it's not just in romantic relationships. Parents do this to their children. Children do this to their parents. Friends do this to friends. Work, co-workers do this to co-workers. We bring this poison in, into every relationship. But Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Isaiah 53, 11, God says, after the suffering of his soul, his chosen one, this suffering servant, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear many iniquities. He will bear our sins. And that great song in Philippians 2 describes Jesus as our humble king. Brothers and sisters, we were not meant to rule. but to be ruled by Jesus. Only He can be that King in our lives. Only He can be that center, that hub of the wheel. When we try to be everything's off, nothing works right, and everything is corrupted and poisoned. But Jesus Christ came to rescue us from ourselves, from our sin, from this desire that the whole world thinks is right, that we should get our way. And he came to show another way, that he would follow the will of his Father and be the servant of all. Now, will you see your relationships as a place, as an opportunity to serve those whom God loves? Will you see your husband, your wife, your co-workers, your children, your parents, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, every earthly relationship, will you see that as a place and an opportunity to serve and not to be served? Will you trust in Jesus and see his kingship See, the reason we have Palm Sunday every year isn't to relive that triumphant entry because, again, the people didn't know what they were doing. We know what we're doing. The reason that we start off with Palm Sunday is that this is this week of Christ's passion where we see and meditate on every step he took to the cross. So whether you've never trusted in Jesus Christ before, or whether you've trusted him your entire life, will you join me this week and think and meditate upon Jesus' kingship, his lordship, and how he came to be our Lord and King by going to Calvary, by going to the cross? Will you come to Good Friday prepared and with friends ready to repent of your sins and to give thanks for the suffering of our Savior. Will you come on Easter Sunday, again bringing friends, rejoicing at his triumph over death? Think about Jesus, the worthy Lamb of God, who is your King. Because there's a response that's required and it is the roar of the redeemed. How do we understand this? Here's an earthly example. 
We experienced a tremendous victory recently here in New York. The Giants won the Super Bowl and defeated the horrible, inappropriately named Patriots. And that creep, Bill Belichick. And when we won, what was our response? What was the response of every Giants fan, every New Yorker in that stadium, every person at home or here as we were watching? Was it, you know, golf clapping? Oh yeah, well done, good job. No. We roar our joy. There is no response but to roar our joy. We hail the victors. I mean, it's... Right? You know it. But what else? What else? We're not just happy that the Giants won. We don't say, they won. Yay, they won. No, it's, we won. We won. Somehow, their victory is our victory. But how? Did you contribute anything? You know, no. You know, but maybe some of you can say, but I was a true fan. So? If you weren't, if you turned on the Giants like mid-season, would they have lost? No. You don't contribute anything. And yet still, somehow, you want this to be your victory. You know, does Eli Manning deserve the victory? Absolutely. Do you? Absolutely not. (laughs) But we cheer because we all want to think that this is somehow our victory as well. Do you see that we are desperate for it to be our victory? We desperately want to be a part of it. You know, when Eli Manning raises the Vince Lombardi trophy, you know, I believe him. He's a nice guy. I believe him when he says, this is for the fans. But Jesus Christ, when he opened that scroll, when the worthy one wins, when he opens that scroll, he is saying, this is for my people. With his blood, what does it say? He purchased souls for God. And that's the joy we see and hear in all the redeemed in this passage. Jesus Christ is victorious, but he does not keep that victory for himself. He does not keep the reward to himself. He invites us all in. Not just as cheering fans, but that as those who share in the reward he has won. And once again, I love this picture in the movie. See, the king doesn't just come armored and in strength rescuing Christian and then having him tag along, but he equips him in his armor and arms him. You know, you have to realize Back in the olden days, people didn't have a suit of armor. Like some people have a shotgun holding, you know, just over the... Well, this is New York, so no one has that. But, you know, 
down in awesome places, people have shotguns over their, you know, their uh, doorways. You know, people didn't have that back then. People didn't have suits of armor, you know, lying around. Forged metal was complicated and expensive. And the only way a poor person could ever have something like that was if some rich person took it out of his wealth and gave it. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. The armor that he gives us is the armor that he alone deserves. And he gives it to us. Not just to follow along, but to join in the battle. That battle against sin. Both outside in the world and also inside in our hearts. You know, this is revelation here. And in one sense, this is the picture of the end of things, the end of time, when history is rolled up. But it's already been inaugurated 2,000 years ago because Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and is enthroned now and putting his enemies under his feet. He is no longer the suffering servant. He is the victorious king. And this picture of the redeemed, the roar of the redeemed in all of creation, well, it also includes us. Not just tomorrow, but also today. He is our king today. He has rescued us. We are saved. We are fit for God's presence. And so the chorus of praise has already begun. You know, I said this last year at the end of a summer sermon. Join the chorus. Don't you just want to? Don't you want to say, you did it. You did it. You are worthy. You did it. Jesus, you did it. You are to be praised. All honor and glory and power to you. We crown you. You are crowned over all the universe, but I crown you in my heart. Don't you want to sing and roar along with the redeemed? Don't you want to bring people into that? On that day, you don't want a losing side. You want them all to be brought in. So bring them. Bring them this Friday. Bring your friends on Sunday because you want them to join the chorus too. Bring them during explorations when we talk about Christianity and discipleship because you want people to follow too. You want them armored as well. You want them to join the fight. Don't you hear that roar? Honoring our humble king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son. And Lord Jesus, you have done it. And you are worthy. You are worthy of our hearts. You are worthy of all of our obedience and love. You are worthy of all of our todays and tomorrows. You have redeemed us by your blood. And let this be a week where we think about that even more deeply 
so that we can share it even more truly with those around us. You put them around us. Surely you did that for a reason. And we know that there's a cheering section. We're part of it. And we want them to join in. We the unworthy are saved by the worthy one who wins, who won. And now we join that roar. Receive our praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.